when um, I was in school, the school of ministry, uh, it, w- it was a school designed for people that had gone to Bible college and were training specifically to become pastors. Um, when I was at the school of ministry in Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, I was not a very fun person. And some people somehow think I'm fun. I don't think I'm fun. I'm um, a very thoughtful, deep-thinking person, and I can, I've been told I could be very intense, uh, but especially back then, I was not a fun person. It was sort of drilled into us. I'm not blaming the school, but something about the atmosphere of academics and taking everything seriously. It really, like, I took this super seriously. We are in ministry. We are going to do serious stuff for God, and I even remember one time, um, great professor, everything he said was gold, and except for this one thing I think was a little misleading for me. He once commented offhand in one of his lectures that he can't stand sitting through movies because he's sitting there for two hours fidgeting, thinking, I could be doing something serious right now. And I remember taking that in and thinking, I want to be like that, like maximize every minute, get everything I can down. Who has time for movies and all that frivolous stuff? And so literally, uh, my family can attest, especially my siblings, that I was not the most joyful, funnest person to be around during the school ministry. But then I learned something, and that that is that God has a sense of humor, that God can laugh. And I think that during that time, I took things very seriously because there's a sense in which you're about to take life and you're about to take this thing and you got to do your part. And there's a sense of responsibility. But what I've learned uh, as I continue to grow is that I can still take myself way too seriously. In fact, as I'm reading this psalm and it talks about things like shouts of joy and laughter, I just the other night was talking to Brittany, my wife, in the kitchen and said, yeah, I'm studying for this and I just want to say I'm sorry because I realize that I don't live up to what I'm about to teach all the time. I realize I can take myself too seriously too often. And I don't remember this exactly how it went, but this is how it replays in my mind. She just lifts her eyebrow and says, you think? (laughs) And so I... I understand that I can take myself too seriously and I get really intense and I feel behind or I'm like, ah, and like, sometimes I just need to lighten up, let loose, let go, and just laugh. We take ourselves too seriously when we don't trust God's sovereignty. That's what it really comes down to. We take ourselves too seriously when we don't trust God's sovereignty. So in other words, if I'm not trusting his sovereignty, if I'm not trusting that he is the one who has everything in control, then I am going to feel an extra burden, an extra weight, extra heaviness that I have to have my stuff together. Because if I don't, who will? And so then we can get uptight and we can uh, be on edge all the time and we can be frustrated our tempers can be short because we have forgotten that God doesn't actually need me to do everything well he is doing all things well he somehow has decided to include us in the work and doesn't that just speak to his heart he wants us to participate in the joy, the play that he is doing. He plays in his universe, and he lets us take part. It's up to us whether or not we take it so seriously that I've got to get my part right. Or if we say, thank you, Lord, this um, entire live stream service could be a train wreck, but you let us be part of it. And you guys have probably, those of you who are, have been with us from the beginning of tonight's service know that this is what, take four? Um, because there was just something that was going wrong. It, the feed wasn't working, and it had this weird glitch sound. And in the back, like, the sound team's, like, pulling their hair out. And, um, but it, it just struck me as ironic. Like, here we are. We're about to explore laughter in the Psalms, and we have this presentation, this, this opportunity before us. Are we going to fret about this? Or are we going to laugh about it? Like God has humor and he plays as the title of one of my favorite authors book says he plays in 10,000 places. We're the ones who forget to play 
in every place where we are. We take ourselves too seriously when we don't trust God's sovereignty. Now, I've loosened up quite a bit. My wife's a big part of that, and learning to trust in God's a big part of that. She has a great sense of humor, and I want us to learn to have a great sense of humor because right now, I feel like the entire world is living the way I lived when I was in the school of ministry, very serious with very heavy hearts. And actually, when you go and look in the dictionary at the word serious, part of the origin of the word, it was originally used to refer to things that are heavy. And so when someone takes life too seriously, or they take themselves too seriously, or their task or their job too seriously, what you end up getting is somebody who is a heavy person. And you can feel it when you're with them. Everything becomes a burden. Everything becomes the end of the world. you got to walk on eggshells, heaviness. And I think as a human race right now, there is a spirit of heaviness on all of us. If not a great deal, at least a little bit more than is usually there. And so we need a cure for this heaviness. We need humor. Now, as we're going to explore, I don't mean humor, just some cheap, let's just get some good laughs, laugh out loud, LOL, ha ha ha, and move on. What I mean is we need genuine humor. Because humor isn't just slapstick silly stuff with frivolity and levity it's not all that stuff um humor is an outlook on life you can talk about having a good humor or a bad humor and that doesn't always mean he's a really funny person it means you've got a great outlook you've got a great mood about things uh facetiming my grandma this week she made this reference toward and i gotta stop watching the news because it's putting me in bad humor and that was her phrase and it stuck with me it's like that's so true. We're in a time when our humor could be on the lower end, but we need an uplift. The heaviness must be taken off, and we need to lighten our load, especially as we're making our ascent, as we're climbing the mount to Jerusalem, as we're making our journey with Christ. We need every weight taken off that we can get off our backs because the journey alone can take everything. So... Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. That's what we want as we make our ascent. So let's read the psalm, and let's take a look at it. Psalm 126, a song of ascents. When Yahweh restored the fortunes of Zion, remember that's the poetic name for Jerusalem, the mountain of Jerusalem. When Yahweh restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, Yahweh has done great things for them. Yahweh has done great things for us. We are glad. In those first three verses, you have three references to this joy. You have verse two, they, our mouth was filled with laughter, um, our tongue with shouts of joy, and then in, at the end of verse three, we were glad. Now, joy is going to show up more in the next few verses, but already in three verses, we have three references to this lightheartedness. This is not heaviness, there's a levity in this psalm. There's this almost, um, I don't want to say frivolous in an unrespectful way, but it's almost like you can see at this point in the, in the ascension, they're frolicking on the path. <laughs> there is something that has happened that has caused them all to just have their hearts be lifted up. And you can see what it is in verse 1. When Yahweh restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. God acted. God did something. What happens? Verse 2, then, then, he did this, then our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. This is very important. That word then in verse 2 is so important. And this is where I want us to understand something. There are, there are sections of Christianity that look down upon 
Christians having a good time, laughing, making light of life and things, and even their, their worship. There's, there's parts that say, no, no, this is a serious matter. And then there are parts that maybe take things too light. But here's what we need to understand. Laughter is part of God's nature. There's one monk who wrote that in the beginning, God laughed and birthed the son, and the son laughed and birthed the spirit, and then all three laughed and we were made. That's not meant to be theology, but I think it's a wonderful insight that the monk had into God's nature, that everything that he has produced is an overflow of his joy within the Trinity. And why do we always have to be somber and heavy and serious? There's laughter in play in the nature of God, but we can take this in the right amount when we understand the relationship between verse 1 and 2. Verse 1, God acted. He restored the fortunes of Zion. That means he came in and he fixed what was wrong. God came in, he saved, he delivered, he did something. God was on the move. Then, verse 2 says, then our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. See, God does something and our laughter is a result of what he has done. Super important. We laugh from joy. We don't laugh for joy. We laugh from joy, not for joy. What we have in the world, and with comedians and comedies and uh, all of the, the jokes at someone's expense and all the dirty jokes and all these things that you see in the world that, the, that Christians can tend to be like, ugh, when it comes to laughter, they're laughing for joy. There's something that they don't have and they want it, so they create situations in which they get to laugh because they're looking for something. They're trying to get a sense of happiness or joy. But laughter will not create joy. We, as Christians, laugh as an expression of what God has done. He has done this. And because he has done that, joy has been sown in our hearts, and we laugh and shout and celebrate as an expression of the joy he has put there. So that's why the relationship between verse 1 and 2 is so important. We're not trying to create some false feeling. We are trying to express the nature of God working within us. Now, um, in verse 3, Yahweh has done great things for us. We are glad. So there they're reiterating what everyone's been saying. The talk of the town is, wow, God did a great thing. This restoration he did, this is a great thing. And then we're acknowledging, yeah, he did. And we are glad. So there you go again. It's just because of what he's done, we're glad. So that's, again, to say uh, joy for us. It's a, it's, it's a state of being. It's not something that we gain when we have security or when we get to move or when we uh, get to be free from our house prisons. Um, joy is something that's with us. And yeah, it ebbs and flows. It simmers. The expression of it ebbs and flows. But joy is there. Joy is there. Happiness we talk about as being that thing that's conditional. It comes and goes. And, you know, I can be really sad yet joyful. I can be happy yet joyful. Joy is there because of what God has done. So the first three verses, what we see is that for God, humor that he gives to us, humor is like a punchline. Like God is a great joke teller. When you think about it, he's a great prankster. And here we have it that he throws the punchline. Israel is apparently, and we have apparently been in places where we're not in a good place and we need restoration. And we're like, oh, what's going to happen? And then God comes in and he makes the restoration. He brings the delivery. He brings the salvation. He's like, ah, and we feel it and we all laugh out loud. It's like the punchline. God is really good at delivering that punchline right when we need it to give us joy and to help us to celebrate and laugh with shouts of laughter. It's totally okay that we express that, and we should express that. The punchline. But, but, every joke needs a setup. Every joke needs a setup. So the punchline also has a plot line. 
And actually, um, joke telling and storytelling are the same craft. They just have different aims. Both give telling details and a series of actions, and then there's a punchline, or there's the climax. There's that twist, that thing that goes, ah, that's what it's about. And then there's an there's a ending, there's a reflection. And so God as a joke teller is a great storyteller. And we need to understand this, that when we go through hardship, this is part of the plot. It's the plot line leading us to the punchline. Like, there is a reason for everything that's happening. It's going somewhere. It's building. The pressure's coming together, and suddenly there's going to be the eruption. The, whoa, the shouts of joy, and then our mouths filled with laughter. See, what I want to say before we get to the next few verses is that what I'm proposing is not a cheap joy. A cheap, oh, just laugh it all off, people. No, never laugh it off. Sometimes life is hard and hurts. And you're not just a, I'm not saying God just wants you to be happy and laugh it off. Ha ha ha, everything's good. He's got the world in his hands. Please, if there is time for sorrow, we need to sorrow. We need to grieve. Otherwise, we will always carry the heaviness. God has given us the gift of tears and of grieving so that we can unload that burden. So sorrow is one way that we can lighten the heaviness. Laughter is another way. And both work together. Sorrow is the plot line. Laughter is the punchline. Understand? We need to see that. This is not just a cheap, be happy. Because people come to church thinking, oh, I should always be happy. And how dare you be here sad? And no, we just got to celebrate and worship God because this is just such a great time together, isn't it? That's not what Christian worship is. Read the Psalms. There are as many lamentations as there are, as there are exultant hallelujahs. God is awesome. There's as many, where are you, God? You've given up on us as there is. He is faithful forever. So we need to understand this is not cheap joy and laughter. It comes with great trust. And trust comes by walking with God everywhere. So now that I say that, let's look at the plot line in verses 4 through 6. Restore our fortunes, O Yahweh, like streams in the Negev. Now, the Negev was a big, vast wilderness south of Jerusalem. So streams in the Negev, well, that's, the Negev's like, oh, life. And then the streams are, oh, life. So restore our fortunes, O Yahweh, like streams in the Negev. Verse 5, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. So here we have a harvest imagery in which you have the sower throwing out the seed, and then eventually it grows up, and you gather it, and you bring it home. And everyone, harvest time for a, a society like Israel, where you live off the land, harvest time was always celebration time. You'll notice that most of Israel's festivals as you read in Leviticus 23, orient around the harvests. There was a spring harvest and an autumn harvest. And it was always a time of community getting together, bringing in as much of the fruit as possible, and you were happy because this means, yay, we won't starve for the next six months. That was a great time. And they would sing, and there were religious services. So there's this imagery of the harvest. But... What the psalmist is doing here is he's showing us that sorrow is like sowing seed. Joy is like reaping the fruit, the grain from that seed. I want you guys to notice that in verse 1, it said, When Yahweh restored the fortunes of Zion. Past tense. See then. then our mouth was filled with laughter, and there were shouts of joy. Right? This is all past tense. The punchline was back then. But sometimes we're living in the plot line, and the conflict is intense, and we're not sure where this story is going. That's where you are in verses 4 through 6. It's present tense. It says, restore our fortunes. We're in need of it again, Lord. We're in need of it again. See, the plot line often carries suspense. And William Archer said that suspense is anticipation mingled with uncertainty. 
Suspense is anticipation mingled with uncertainty. What's the anticipation? God's going to restore us. He's going to do everything he said he will. What's the uncertainty? It doesn't feel like it. I don't see how. Right now, I am weeping. Right now, I have a heavy heart. Right now, I don't have a clue what is going on. This is suspense. It's part of every plot line. But if we believe that God indeed is sovereign, then we don't have to take this too seriously. And we can look forward to saying, look, every plot line leads to a punchline. So let's keep sowing the seed. Or in other words, what the psalm says is keep letting the tears fall. We reap joy only by sowing sorrow. You only grow joy, or in other words, by sowing sorrow. Sow sorrow, grow joy. There you go. Sow sorrow, grow joy. See, we cannot simply push bad times off. We cannot simply say, ah, I'm just going to put a comedy on and pretend everything's okay. Or, ah, I'm just going to drink a lot of wine and feel better about everything. Or, ha, 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 I'm just going to numb myself with a ton of Netflix right now. Nature channels. Um, that's, that's maybe helpful for a night, but that is not a good solution. It's not a good solution. The Bible says things get rough, and it's only by going through them right? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow. I went King James. I don't know why. I guess everyone knows that psalm in the King James. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Have you ever read Psalm 23 carefully? There's this beautiful shape to the psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me. He's taking care of me. Then it dips like a valley. It dips into the valley, the valley of the shadow of death. But what does it do? Like all valleys, it dips back up. The psalm itself is the shape of a valley. It dips up and says, and he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil, surely goodness and mercy. Follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The picture at the end is of a feast. There's the shape of a valley. We must go through the valley to get to the other side. You're like, no, I don't want to get to the other side. I'm fine right here. I'm not going down that valley. Right, but notice in Psalm 23, it goes from, you're God's sheep to your God's guest. You're eating grass and laying down by rivers of water to eating at his table and living in his house. The valleys, the tears, they grow things in us, through us, around us, for us that you cannot get without going through the valley. And so the psalm is saying, if you want to grow in joy, we have to sow tears these are what fuel our growth. So we're on step seven of 15 of the ascents. We're nearly halfway there. Yeah, there's going to be tears. There's going to be blood and sweat and blisters. And there's going to be this desire to quit. But we keep on going because the joy will grow in us. And so we realize that we are just in the midst of a plot line. Oh, it could be a long plot line. It could be a short plot line. But we have to trust the big story that God is bringing all of this somewhere. And someday the punchline is going to come upon us and we'll say, <laughs> unbelievable. Thank you. <laughs> Gio laughed out loud back there. Um, we cannot. Brene Brown has said a quote, and many people know her as being the shame researcher, and she said something very profound, and it's, it's taped up in the wall of my office so that all my students and people that come in can see it. It's like my, my, my quote hall of fame, I guess. She said, we cannot selectively numb our emotions. We cannot selectively numb our emotions. Think about that for a minute. Because what we know we would do is we would take the psalm and scratch out sowing tears. We just circle all the joy parts, the laughter parts, the glad parts. That's selectively numbing emotions. We don't like the tears. We don't like the sorrow. We don't like the grief. We don't like the uncertainty and the suspense. We don't like that stuff. But you can't selectively numb your emotions. So here's how it goes. You cannot selectively numb your emotions. If you numb the negative emotions, you also numb the positive emotions. 
think of it like this. We like to think of our emotions as being like a soundboard. Have you seen a soundboard before with all those sliders? And it's like you can mix it just the way you want it. More keys, less guitar, more Sandy, less Richard, <laughs> um, so forth. We cannot do that with our emotions. That's not how they work. Our emotions are rather like a light switch. They're either on or they're off. When they're on, you take all of them. The, the, the gladness with the sadness. When they're off, you get none of them. And you live life like a flat line. And you live it dead. And you know someone like that who has decided the pain's too much. I'm turning my emotions off. They think they're turning the pain off, but they've also turned off their capacity to laugh and to feel joy and to dance with God. And when you think of it like that, as hard as it, as hard as it is to receive pain and sorrow, can you not agree that God who's using the plot to bring us to the great celebration, that if he's doing that, can you not agree that it's better to feel pain and get his joy, then you're alive. And we know he's using it for something. It isn't just meaningless suffering. We cannot selectively numb our emotions. And so the psalm says, he who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy and bringing the sheaves, that's just bringing all the goods with him. He's coming out richer than when he went in. And so there's this necessity. We just celebrated Easter. We love the resurrection. And, well, we love Good Friday because we think God did that for us. But what we don't love is when we go through Good Friday. We just want the resurrection. But you cannot get resurrection without the cross. Crucifixion leads to resurrection. Sowing in tears leads to growing in joy and humor and laughter and the great pleasure of God. That's the reality. And so here, I'm thankful that the psalm takes the time not to just say, ha, 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 everything in Christianity is a punchline. Just laugh, people. Don't sorrow. It's actually being more realistic and saying, it's a punchline with a long plot line, too. And if we will keep going and keep trusting in God, laughter will abound in our homes and merriment in our heart. Mirth will bubble forth from us and levity will dispel the weight of gravity. Isn't that great? So, um, in, in Genesis chapter 21, you have the birth of Isaac. Genesis 21. I want to catch you up on the story real quick before you see the significance here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it was good. At the end of the chapter, it says, God saw that it was very good. God delighted in it. Um, but then, humanity rebels. They say, eh, we'll do things our way. And from that moment... You can count the word curse or cursed five times. From Genesis 3 to Genesis, from Genesis 3 through Genesis 11, the word curse appears five times. Then in Genesis 12, in the first three verses, the word blessed shows up five times. In Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, is when God calls Abraham and says, look, I'm going to use you to bless the world. What God is doing with Abraham is he's saying, through you and the people who will have your kind of faith in me, the curse will be reversed to the blessing that I originally had in the garden. So, Abraham's brought on the scene. The people of God are being born to bless the world. So Abraham and Sarah are promised a child to do this through your offspring, right? They need a child. But they don't have a child for a long time. They're getting older and older and older. 
and they're waiting and trying and waiting and trying. And like, <laughs> is this ever going to happen? And everybody else is like, you really hold on to that promise still? They're in the midst of a long plot line, right? And it's so bad that Sarah has the absurd idea to have Abraham have sex with someone that's not her. And then when that doesn't work out, she gets upset about it. It was her idea. It's usually how we are. We get angry with people about our ideas that don't work. And the plot gets thicker. The suspense is there. Anticipation. There's supposed to be a promise here mingled with uncertainty. They're getting older and older and older. 25 years is how long it takes from Genesis 12 to Genesis chapter 21. When Isaac is born, it's 25 years. That is a lot of waiting, weeping, and trying. That's a lot of living in a cursed world waiting for the blessing to come. But the child comes, and God tells him to name him Isaac, because Isaac means he laughs. He laughs. Now, there's an irony here, because at first, Sarah's like, am I really going to bear a child in old age? And God's like, you laughed. She's like, no, I didn't. And so there's this mock laughter. And sometimes that's the only laughter we can muster. Yeah, right, God. Yeah, you, pastor, telling me that God works all things together for good. Yeah, right. But what happens when Isaac is actually born is real laughter is born. And that mock laughter, that doubting laughter, that nervous laughter is instantly transformed into genuine laughter. In fact, the Jews had a tradition I, I read this, that there was um, a Jewish, the rabbis had this tradition about when Isaac was born, women all over the world became pregnant and were laughing. Obviously, that's just a tradition, but it's interesting to see their insight. The birth of laughter, he laughs, brought laughter and mirth and joy into the world, in a world suffering from the curse. So here we go in Genesis 21, and we see in verse 6. Well, look at verse 5. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. One hundred years old. Has the Lord done great things? He has done great things. Verse 6, And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Or just like read it literally. God has made Isaac for me. He has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. Everyone who hears will Isaac over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Here she is laughing at the great joke. Can't you hear it? Who would have said, Abraham, your wife's going to bear children in her old age? Who would have said that? You can almost see tears coming down her face as she's holding her son laughter, saying, I cannot believe this has come about. The long plot line climaxed with the great punchline, and everyone is laughing with joy. The mockery is gone. God has brought his humor to the world. And of course, you can look at this in so many ways. People are like, the Bible's boring. Well, yeah, okay, maybe to a modern reader, maybe because we don't understand some things, but look, there are parts of the Bible that if you were reading it like an ancient would be downright funny. Things like, um, I think about uh, when, um, uh, what's his name, Nathaniel hears that the Messiah has come, and he's like, really where is he from like nazareth and he goes can anything good come from nazareth and we're like okay he's from nazareth what does that mean but um every time i say that's like saying he's from barstow and it always gets a laugh from somebody because oh we get that that's humor it's like can anything good come from barstow we just lose some of the humor because of the distance of the text but there are a lot of interesting things that are in the Bible. And just think of the Bible's story as a whole. God is going to save the world through someone who's born in a barn from a virgin. It's just, the whole thing is odd. See, God is writing a comedy. Not that everything's there just for a laugh, but that there's a lightheartedness, there's a playfulness in God as he's bringing everything to its ultimate marriage and celebration at the end. 
oh, the great joke, of course, is in Revelation. And I've, um, I emailed this this week, so you've probably read it. Some of you have. But in Revelation chapter 5, we get this revelation of Jesus. And it's supposed to be this, like, climatic moment. Heaven's weeping. Because the one seated on the throne is holding a scroll. And it, it seems to be the title deed, the will, the, the, someone's going to inherit the earth. And no one can open it. No one's worthy to open it. And so John's weeping because, oh, my goodness, the plot's never going to end. We're going to live. The whole thing's going to end in tragedy. So John weeps. But then he's told, no, 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 weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered he is worthy to take the scroll. And you can see John going, <laughs> what? The lion conquered? And, and he wipes the tears out of his eyes and he looks for this lion. And what does he see? He sees a lamb. He sees this little bleeding lamb, bleating, that's also bleeding. It's, it's a slaughtered lamb, it says. A lamb standing as though it had been slain. And that's the great, if you think about it, that's a great joke. In the context of the Roman Empire, which is used to the eagle as its symbol, and the lions on the throne, and Caesar, nobody stands against Caesar. Caesar is the son of God. He's the king of the world. He's the savior of everything. He's brought peace and prosperity, the Pax Romana, to everybody. And Jesus is being pitted here as the true king, the true heir of the world. Caesar might rule the world, but Jesus is going to open the scroll. He's going to own it one day. And and they're announcing the line of the tribe of Judah. Caesar's nobody next to this guy. All of heaven is celebrating and praising this lion. And John looks and it's a meek little lamb that looks like it can barely stand up because it's so mangled. And you can just hear the silence, a pin drop. The, it's like the joke has just been lost. The punchline was just delivered and nobody could believe it. What? But then we find out at the end, that this is through the weakness of God. It's through his humility. It's through his self-sacrifice. It's through his giving of himself that the great evil and powers of the world are conquered. And then it's the people of God who have the last laugh as they're celebrating over the ruins of Babylon when the marriage supper of the Lamb begins. Revelation is a comedy in the literal sense that it ends with a wedding, but also that it is a great joke. God's plan is unbelievable. And those who are part of it experience out of the expression of their joy, they experience laughter. Because those who are in on the joke find it funny, find it joyful. It's only when you're on the outside of a joke that you don't get it. Like, what in the world? And you know when you have to explain a joke? It's not funny when you have to explain it. And that's why some people don't get it. It's like when we have to over explain who God is, it loses the merriment and the mirth and the playfulness. God has to be seen in action. He has to be seen in the way his people handle the sowing and tears, but also in the expression and the reaping in shouts of joy and laughter. God has, people have to be invited into the joke with our lightheartedness, not our somberness or our severity or our gravity or our seriousness and like, how dare you have fun? That's not what's going to save the world. So brothers, sisters, friends, my encouragement is that we laugh. We need it in this time because our hearts are heavy. Laughter does two things, and this is why we need it. Laughter lightens the load. Please do not climb the mountain with a heavy heart. With this unnecessary baggage and burden, we must learn to laugh with God. By the way, um, Psalm chapter 2, do you remember that one? You should know this one. It's just, it's it's. I think it's the second most quoted chapter in the Bible, in the New Testament, second most quoted chapter. So that means it's significant to the early church. Psalm chapter 2 begins with the nations raging, and they're basically why they're raging is because God has put constraints on them. So like, let's do away with his bonds. Let's be free. And then verse 4 says, he who sits in the heavens 
paces back and forth in a panic. He bites his fingernails. He inches on the edge of his seat. What are we going to do, Gabriel? Says he who sits in the heavens laughs. Why does he laugh? Because he knows the punchline. They don't win. We can lighten the load because we can laugh because we know the punchline. We know what's to come. So let's not take ourselves too seriously. Let's, let's be able to laugh at our own mistakes. Let's be able to laugh at what's going on around us. Let's be able to laugh at the fact that Calvary Chapel Twin Peaks can't get their live stream together. Or laugh that Richard and Sandy sang the first song three, four times, something like that. Um, you, want, you, see, you want us to do it again? Yes, I want you to do it again. <laughs> um, like, this has just been, it's, it's good. We need to take some of these things with a little more levity, all right? So um, laughter can lighten the load. We don't need more weight. But as a result, second reason we need laugh is that laughter evangelizes. Laughter evangelizes. Did you notice that in verse 2? Then our mouth is filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. There's another than. Th- then they said among the nations. This means non-God believers, non-Yahweh followers. They all have their pagan idols and deities. They among the nations, because they saw us laughing and shouting with joy about the great things God did for us, they said about us. So then they said among the nations, Yahweh has done great things for them. What, what, wait, did you hear that? The people, not in on the joke, see us laughing and they're saying, wait a minute, something really good is going on over there. And then in verse 3, of course, they confirm, yes, he's done great things for us and we're glad. Do you see the invitation the psalmist is giving? The psalmist is saying, let's be those who lighten the load on our pilgrimage because we understand the joke. We laugh with God and it will bring the curious toward more people are interested in laughter than they are in well actually technically they're wrong because they parse the greek word like this but we look at it like this really that's not winning anybody that's winning the few nerds who love to have these intellectual discussions about dead languages but laughter wins the people with heavy hearts laughter is what the world needs and god's people playing with god in his world It evangelizes because, look, everybody's walking with heavy hearts and everybody wants the load lightened when they see a people who are not saying, we got to hike this mountain with God. We got to go to church or watch it. We got to when they see people saying we get to we get to we get to it turns their heads because aren't we sick and tired of hearing people saying, well, we got to go to church because it's a sin if we don't or I got to do my confession or I got to. No, no. We're in on the joke. Let's laugh and let's show the world that God lightens our load by being people who live with light hearts. So we are the upright, yes, but that doesn't mean we're the uptight, okay? We want to walk upright. We don't want to walk stooped with this burden. We want to walk with good posture because we're lighthearted. But please, let's not be uptight about everything. That so we laugh to lighten the load, and it also evangelizes to those around us. So finally, how do we do this? How do we lighten our load? Um, how, do we, how do we get a better humor? I'm not saying how do we be more funny. I'm, again, please don't miss it. This isn't about, well, they're funny people. I want to be a Christian. That's not the point. It's about seeing life with this outlook of God is playful, and there is a great joke being told, and yes, the plot can be suspenseful, but we know where it's going. How do we develop this outlook on life? How do we walk with a light heart instead of this heaviness? Um, As I prayed about this and thought about it and read about it, it, it became very clear to me that it works very simply. First, it moves in a, in a progression, okay? So these rely on each other in order. First, we must practice gratitude. We must practice gratitude. I am cantankerous. I love that word. I am cantankerous and grumpy. By the way, do you know what cantankerous is a mixture of um, riotous and, oh, I forgot. It's a, it's, riotous is part of the word. Isn't that interesting? Anyways, um, I'm cantankerous and grouchy and grumpy and uptight when I'm complaining and when I'm not grateful for what's going on in life. 
I've noticed this, the, the con connection there. We must practice gratitude. Now, I understand. If I asked any one of you to name something you're grateful for, every Christian can name something they're grateful for. It's just part of what happens with our nature when we come to Christ. We learn gratitude. However, if I asked how many of you have sat in gratitude for an extended period of time, I have to confess, I don't know that I've done that for some time. St. Ignatius of Loyola was famous for encouraging Christians to sit in gratitude, which means you don't just recall things you're grateful for, like a laundry list. You recall it, and then you sit in it. Wow. When that person complimented this thing I was trying to do, I was grateful for that. Okay, great. You acknowledge it, now sit with that. When you pray to God, thank him for that moment and revisit it. And it's actually interesting. He talks about soaking in the gratitude. You have to relive it. You have to actually sit in it, and it will lift your heart. Gratitude will give us altitude. It will help us to be elevated. And so to find those things we're grateful for and to actually pray through them and marinate in them, it gives us a better humor. That gratitude then gives us joy. Like I said, without gratitude, I'm grumpy and cantankerous. Gratitude gives us joy. When we realize everything we're grateful for and what God's doing around us, and we recognize, yes, he has done great things for me, it brings joy. Do you notice that in verse 3? He's practicing gratitude. Yahweh has done great things for us. The people just said that. God's done great things for you. And they said, yes, he has done great things for us. They're soaking in gratitude about what God's done. And as a result, it says we are glad. Gratitude helps our joy fruit get plumper and more ripe. Gratitude brings us, sorry for that image, but joy is a fruit of the Spirit, and gratitude helps it to be mature. So gratitude, which leads to joy, then humor. When we have joy, remember humor is an expression of our joy. And I suggest that we get good at practicing humor. And I mean as an outlook yeah, we don't have to take joke classes. That's not at all. That's just, that's too superficial. I mean that we get good at training ourselves to have a humorous outlook on life. And I believe we do that the same way we cultivate gratitude. We sit with that which we find humorous in life. This is the idea God gave me this week, that I want to start sitting with humor more often. I don't mean that I sit down and watch a comedy more often, although that is good too at times, but I mean that I sit down and thank God for this moment that made me smile or this ironic thing he did that I wasn't expecting or here where I was surprised or here where I literally laughed. And so I want to share real quick three things that I have been soaking in as humorous this week. Um, the first one is, we were in the forest the other day. It was like the first day when it was finally warming up. And we took the kids outside, just a little bit on the trail, and um, we're in the middle of the forest, right? And the kids are playing hide-and-seek. Now, in our house, we have, uh, we have um, what's it called? An Amazon Echo or something? Uh, Alexa. And so it's a, it's, it's a habit for us, like, I'm brewing my tea. Alexa, set a timer for five minutes. Uh, Atticus is in timeout. Set a timer for three minutes. Alexa, how much time is left on my baking timer? Like, that's just a, a pretty natural rhythm in our house. So we're outside in the forest. The sun is shining. The butterflies are fluttering. And suddenly the kids want to play hide and seek. So Avalyn tells Brittany, my wife, to count to 40 while she hides. And my wife instinctively says, Alexa. <laughs> she was going to start a 40-second timer and then realized that as she's saying it that we're in the middle of the wilderness. And she started cry laughing. And it was such just a great, I was like, there, that's humor. That's what we need more of in life, to, to see those moments and to treasure them because we need those laughs in this world. Second, my son Atticus, <laughs> um, we, uh, my neighbor is having a tree taken out, a huge cedar tree, 
And so there's tree, there's guys, crew, working with their hard hats and their vests and their boots and their rugged men, you know, and they're, they're working in the trees and they're harnessed into the tree. One guy's climbing way up at the top, cutting down sections with a big, noisy chainsaw. And there's other guys on the ground with ropes helping him, like in case he falls and, and lowering these big logs that come down one at a time. And my son was fascinated, right? And so um, one... I just I happened to be in the room across the room and the chainsaw was revving up and cutting into the tree and he heard it and he came out of some other room he bolted into the room where there's a big window and he turns the corner and he's running so fast and he's about to launch himself onto the sofa that's right underneath the window so he can look out and see the action and he's running so fast he starts to lose his footing and he goes head first into the front of the sofa bangs his head into it I don't think his feet ever stopped moving and then he picked himself back up and got on the sofa and looked out the window like a dog all excited and happy and it was like the thing never hit him or hurt him and I was doing everything I could not to bust up laughing I keep going to that when I need a smile as you can tell (laughs) and then third um We've, uh, we've been trying to do takeout every now and then just to kind of support local business. And so we ordered food from one place um, the other day. And uh, they have you drive up and wait outside, and they will bring the food to you. So, you know, totally expecting just, like, an employee to come out with a bag and with, like, the whole mask on their face and, like, have a good day or, like, you know, be as far apart from you as possible. Uh, So the employee was coming out carrying a pink bag with our food. and um, (laughs) But then I saw her coming out, and they could have totally just, you know, with the mask on and everything, but they went above and beyond. And this employee comes out with an inflatable marshmallow suit. It's one of those suits where there's air flowing in it to make it super puffy. So she is completely covered in this thing. And I'm like, that's taking the mask to another level. And I couldn't help but smile. Like, you guys really thought about how to make a humorous situation out of a heavy situation. And so um, then I got the bag of food and inside instead of napkins, they give you a roll of toilet paper. How about that? That's the kind of humor we need in life, and I want to cultivate having this kind of an outlook on life, a lighter heart, not to be so uptight and on edge all the time and cantankerous. So how do we do that? I think one of the ways is just to notice where God is playing with us, and to, and to acknowledge that, and when we pray, to just replay, like with our gratitude, just replay some of those scenarios and maybe our ill humor can become positive humor, and we can realize that we are in the joke with God. So I pray that you have a light heart, and that laughter will lighten the load as you make your ascension this week. So we're going to go to communion now. and. Uh,